Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. This is part two, mercy or misery. The choice is yours, right? I heard a story about a man who saved the world by thinking small. You know, there's a handful of what I would call hinge moments in world history. Well, one of those took place on June the 6th, 1944, or D-Day. It was one of those moments. On that day, hung the balance of power in World War II and the fate of the world. One of the most unlikely and unknown heroes of D-Day was a man who never set foot on Normandy Beach. He never commanded a single troop, and he never wore a uniform. His name? Andrew Jackson Higgins. Now, Higgins was a man responsible for designing and building the LCVP, those small landing boats that brought the troops onto the beaches on D-Day. If Higgins hadn't had the foresight to see the need for them, then design them and then build them, former President Dwight Eisenhower said, the whole strategy of the war would have been different. And what's even more amazing is that Higgins did it all without any request from the military. In fact, he did it so by pushing against the wishes of the United States Navy. At the time, the Navy was only interested in larger vessels, like the destroyers and the battleships. They had no interest at all in smaller vessels, especially those small little LCVPs that Higgins had in mind. Now, if you ever have watched a D-Day movie, uh, you know what an LCVP is. They're those small landing vessels with flat bottoms, high sides, that ushered the troops up onto the beach, then dropped their flat bottoms or their bows into the water and let the troops exit straight ahead into a horrifying barrage of gunfire. Well, the Navy didn't want the LCVPs, which later became known to soldiers and the world around as the Higgins boats because of their size, their small size, and their flat bottoms. I meant they couldn't navigate against the English Channel. But Higgins saw what the Navy couldn't see, that after crossing the Channel, the larger ships would not be able to get the troops close enough to the shore. The assault on the beaches of Normandy involved dozens of battleships, scores of destroyers, and thousands of Higgins boats. The larger vessels transported the personnel and equipment across the English Channel under the cover of darkness, then, as tens of thousands of troops boarded thousands of Higgins boats, the destroyers and the battleships went off the coastline from a distance to prepare for the landing of the troops. No wonder, then, that 20 years after D-Day, President Dwight Eisenhower casually told the writer that Higgins was the man who won the war for us. You think about that. Your life is not often changed by the big moments, but by the little moments, the little things that people have done for you, the insignificant things that maybe you kind of taken for granted, the things that people have done for you that you didn't even realize needed to be done for you. I think about my first grade Sunday school teacher and how she shared the gospel with me. I don't imagine that she thought that was a big, pivotal moment in my life or in her life, but it changed the direction of my life. 
Can you imagine what mercy would do to your son or your daughter or your coworker or to your spouse? Uh, Can you imagine what it would do for your neighbor if you reached out to them and shared the love of Christ by being merciful to them? It would blow their mind, but it would also change their lives. Well, today I want to look at the steps that we take when we become filled with mercy. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, do not look out only for yourself, look out for the good of others also. Now, I've discovered something, and maybe you can relate to this, but the busier I get, the less merciful I become. So the first step, if you're going to be merciful, is I've got to see the need, right? To care is to be aware. I've got to see what is going on around me. I've got to see who is hurting in my life. I cannot be so consumed with my own things in life that I don't see the needs of others. I've got to see the need. That's the first step of overcoming and going through and becoming a merciful person. You know, leniency is something that we frown upon, right? We've got the mindset, if you do the crime, you got to do the time. Well, Tom Hallman was a reporter for an Oregon newspaper, and he chronicled a young man's turnaround all because of something pivotal that happened, all because of a judge being merciful. For Dion Wooden, a series of unpaid traffic infractions led to a warrant for his arrest as a young man in the early 90s. According to Wooden, the judge was ready to sentence him to prison. But his pastor advocated on his behalf. He testified before the judge that Wooden had turned his life around since his initial infractions. Because of the pastor's passionate advocacy, the judge relented, suspending the warrant, reducing his fine, and putting him on a payment plan. While growing up in a violent plague street, the streets of Compton, California, Wooden's prospects were grim. Gang shootings were a nightly threat, and survival was a daily struggle. However, a move to Paris, California provided a glimmer of hope, leading to an education in drafting, and he decided to venture to the Pacific Northwest at age 20. Uh, He faced a lot of setbacks. He experienced some racial discrimination, but he persevered, eventually settling in the northeast of Portland. Now, 30 years later, Wooden is one who is on the verge of realizing his dream. He's launched a business, an electrical service company, with a vision to extend opportunities to minorities, to those who have faced life's challenges, and those who want a fresh start. As he prepares to start his own business, he plans to pay it forward by offering apprentices to those who are underrepresented in the electrical field. And he wants to show that hard work and determination can conquer life's obstacles, but it's got to be triggered by mercy. Since he received mercy, he is passing that mercy on. You know, as you listen to me today, maybe you're a person who has been a recipient of mercy, and you're wondering, how can I use this gift of mercy? How can I pass it on? Have you ever considered a ministry in the prison environment, going into the prisons across our community and sharing the gospel, and not just sharing the gospel, 
but sharing your life. You know, inmates' lives can be changed, and they are changed most profoundly when we invest in them deeply, when we care enough to say, I'm going to come on in. In the book of Hebrews, we're exhorted to remember those who are incarcerated as if you were incarcerated yourself. You know, God has opened up a wonderful opportunity with the St. Bride's Correctional Center in Chesapeake, Virginia. If you are interested in serving in this capacity, I'm always looking for some good volunteers who are willing to give up maybe one night a month or maybe one night a week uh, to come in and, and teach these guys. I'm interested in having guys that want to come in and men and women to come in and join me in Celebrate Recovery or to join me in, in leading one of our worship services or join me in, uh, in leading a ministry called Malachi Dads. Listen, if you are remotely interested in serving in this capacity, would you shoot me a text message? Say, hey, I'm interested in prison ministry. Send me a message at 252-267-2365. God has strategically placed me as a chaplain there at St. Bride's Correctional Center. I'd love to bring you in there. I give you the opportunity to share with these men. And I promise you, you'll be a blessing to them. But you know who gets the bigger blessing? You'll get the bigger blessing as you go in there and bless them. Well, if we're going to be men and women of mercy, the first step is I must see the need. To care is to be aware. Don't look out just for yourself. Look out for the good of others also. So don't get so busy that you forget to be merciful. Don't get so caught up in your own life that you forget there's a whole world out there that could use my gift of mercy. Secondly, if we're going to be involved in mercy, I must sympathize with people's pain. Okay, it's one thing to be aware of pain. It's another thing to sympathize with people in their pain. Galatians chapter 2 in the message translation says, stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens, and by doing so, you complete the law of Christ. Now, Paul is reminding us here that we are most Christ-like when we act like Christ in giving others mercy. Stooping down, just as Christ lowered himself, came down to this earth, and he blessed us as we reached down to others. And not in a condescending way, right? When we reach out to those who are in pain, those who are suffering oppression, by reaching out to them, we are sympathizing with them. We're getting into where they are. We're getting on their turf, going through what they're going through. Paul said to the Corinthian believers that God comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. Have you ever wondered why God has been so merciful to you? It's not just about you. Oh, you don't deserve mercy. I'm not uh, saying that you deserve it. But it's not just about you. God shows us his comfort in our times of trouble so that we can pass that on to others. He says, when they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. You see, God never wastes our hurt. God always has a bigger picture for it. And it's bigger than me, myself, and I. When we are going through trials and tribulations, God wants to bring us comfort so that we can sympathize with the pain of others. 
we're even to be very patient with those who are battling doubt. In the book of Jude, it's a book that is written really to confront false doctrine. But Jude knows that those who confront false doctrine, they're the warriors, right? They're the ones that are on the front line. Uh, they're the no-nonsense kind of people, like the Apostle Paul, right? And those who, who are able to confront error have a weak point. And their weak point is that they tend to be lacking mercy. So Jude says, in the midst of defending solid doctrine, and in the midst of standing up for truth, be merciful to those who doubt. You know, I've discovered in church work that when somebody is getting ready to leave the church, I always try to get an opportunity to speak with them and to find out what's going on in their head uh, that would cause them to want to leave the church. And it kind of narrows down into two words uh, that describe what they're going through. And one word I can help them with, the other word I can't help them with, and I've got to know the difference between the two. And here are the two words. Are you discouraged or are you disgruntled? Maybe you find yourself in this predicament right now in the church where you are serving. And wondering, is it time for to move on? And maybe you've had this feeling many times, right? It ain't the first time you felt like the Lord leading me to another church. It is amazing as I talk to people, I discovered that there are three groups of people in the world. There's the unchurched, then there's the churched, and then there's a third group called the in-between churches, right? I'm kind of in-between churches. It's kind of like the in-between jobbers. I got this job, but I don't really like this job. I'm looking for another job. Or, or the in-between marriages, right? A lot of people in between marriages. Well, I'm married to this person, but I'm not really happy. I'm just buying my time because uh, I'm in between marriages. And some people have that same mindset with a house they're living in. I'm just temporarily living here, and, and I'm moving on to something else, right? Constantly on the move. So the question would be, are you discouraged or are you disgruntled? Now, a discouraged person is one who has lost their courage one who has lost their drive to keep on keeping on. Now, a discouraged person, we can help that person. What do we do? We infuse them with the power of Christ. We come alongside them. We offer them mercy if they're doubting some things. Uh, We say, hey, you know what? Uh, You are much more valuable than you can imagine. You are much more useful to this ministry than you can imagine. And we can really infuse them with courage to be giving them that enthusiasm again for the things of God. That word enthusiasm means in God. Uh, We can get you back in the right relationship with God so that that discouragement turns into courage and you're able to push on. So the discouraged, we can help. The disgruntled, on the other hand, when a person becomes disgruntled with their marriage, when they become disgruntled with their job, when they become disgruntled with where they're living, when they become disgruntled with their mom and dad, when they become disgruntled with their church, right? Uh, That is a person who finds a problem with every solution. It doesn't matter what you offer up. uh, It's not going to fix the problem because the problem is really not the problem. The problem is their mindset. They have already shut down. As a matter of fact, I think I can tell about a year before somebody leaves my church that they're getting ready to leave. I remember many years ago, I had a family that uh, came to me and said, Pastor, we're leaving the church. And I says, yes, I, I, I kind of gathered that you were. And they said, what do you mean? We haven't talked to anybody about it. And I said, I know, I, I know you haven't talked to anybody about it. I'm not saying that you have. I said, but I just have seen the change in your, in your attitude over the last several months. 
And I said, you used to be very happy coming to church, and then all of a sudden, uh, now you're very hit and miss with coming to church, and and you used to be here early and help and pray with us, and and then all of a sudden, you started coming later and later, and uh, you used to be very willing to help, and uh, you'd jump in when we had ministry opportunities, but now now instead of jumping in, you're complaining about everything. Said, I don't got the time to do that. Church always asking me to help. I don't want, I don't want to help anymore. You have gone from discouragement to being disgruntled. You see, a disgruntled person is is hard for them to turn around because they think that everybody else is the problem. It's certainly not them. It kind of reminds me of the guy I talked to not too long ago. He came to me for counseling, and he was having some some marriage problems. And and I I didn't know the guy that well, and we sat down, and I said, well, tell me a little bit about your marriage. And he said, well, I've been married a few times. I said, what does it mean? A few times. He says, well, I'm on the fifth marriage. And I said, now you're trying to get out of this marriage. I said, has it ever occurred to you that the common denominator in all these marriages falling apart has been you? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe, just maybe, uh, you bear the, the brunt of the responsibility for these marriages falling apart? And that guy got a little bit upset with me and and he looked at me like, well, of course I can't be the problem. Uh, I mean, I, I've just married these duds, right? Uh, and, and of course it can't be me. You know, to own up to something is one of the most difficult things to do. So I become more merciful when I, number one, I see the need. To care is to be aware. Number two, I sympathize with people's pain. Number three, I seize the moment. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Again, uh, this is the message translation. Never walk away from someone who deserves your help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor, maybe some other time, or try me tomorrow when the money's right there in your pocket. In other words, God has given you this opportunity, and you see the need, you sympathize with the need, Now it's time to seize that moment. Don't delay it. Don't say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Don't procrastinate on it. Do it immediately. Take advantage of that moment. Listen, when there's a need that is presented to you and God places you in the path of that person, you are the answer to that person's prayer. Now, opportunities to bless people are often unexpected. In order to seize the moment, You must be willing to be interrupted. What often seems like a coincidence in your life is really a God-engineered encounter. Now, if you wait too long to respond, you might miss the moment. You see, mercy touches the untouchable and loves the unlovable. So, seize the day. You know, the Chinese symbols for crisis are identical to those for the word opportunity. Literally translated, a crisis is an opportunity riding the dangerous wind. So seize the moment when God brings somebody into your path that has a need and you're able to meet that need. Well, by golly, go ahead and meet that need. Don't put it off. Don't delay. You know, delayed obedience is really disobedience. 
Because when God orchestrates people and he brings people into our lives by divine appointment, we must seize that moment. And then number four, I spend whatever it costs. We're going to look at a passage in the book of James. In James chapter 2, verse 20, says, Faith that does nothing is worth nothing. And take action. And by taking action, there is always a cost. You see, we're all faced with innumerable opportunities that are brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says, If you feed those who are hungry and you take care of the needs of those who are troubled, then your light will shine in the darkness and you will be bright like a sunshine at noon. The Lord will always lead you. He will satisfy your needs in dry lands. He'll give you strength. He'll give strength to your bones. You'll be like a garden that has much water, like a spring that never runs dry. Isaiah is reminding us that when we reach out and we care for others, we receive care for ourselves. When we shine that light into the darkness, we also are lighting a path for our own footsteps to take. The Lord is always going to be with us. The Lord will always satisfy our needs. You know, I've never heard of anybody going bankrupt because they were too generous. I have heard of people go bankrupt because they were, they, they were too um, unorganized in their spending. They were maybe uh, emotionally buying things that they couldn't afford. But I've never had anybody said, you know, uh, uh, I had to file bankruptcy because I gave too much in feeding the poor. I gave too much to my church. You see, God always makes sure that the generous soul will prosper. You know, this is really a a heart matter. You know, your heart will always follow your money. You know, suppose you bought some shares in General Motors, and what happens when you do that? Uh, You suddenly develop an interest in General Motors. I have a little bit of of stock in uh, in a health insurance company, and so uh, I'm kind of curious as to what's happening in Blue Cross and Blue Shield because um, I've invested a little money uh, in that uh, that company. What do you do? You you check the financial pages and and you see uh, an article about uh, the company that you've invested in, and you read it right, and then you go every month or so, or uh, and then you look at it and you see how things are going, right? Do you wish you cared more for eternal things? Then I want to encourage you. Reallocate some of your money, maybe much of your money, from temporal things to eternal things. Put your resources, your assets, your money, your possessions, your time, your talents, your energies into the things of God. Watch what happens. As surely as the compass needle follows north, Your heart will follow your treasure. Money always leads your heart. So today, as we conclude another day of broadcast, I thank you again for joining me today. I want to pray that God will fill you with his mercy. 
At Hickory Ridge Academy, we are always looking for good employees. Maybe you have a love for young children, a love for these precious babies. Would you consider coming to work with us? The number, if you want more information, just give me a call, 252-267-2365, or shoot me a text, and I'll be happy to tell you more about the opportunities at HRA. I'd also like to pray for you. You know, there's something about praying for somebody that brings you in closer relationship with that person. My family right now is going through a difficult time, and so many people have been sending me messages Hey, I'm praying for you, Pastor. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for all that you're going through. You know, in this time of difficulty, it has has allowed us to have our hearts bonding together with hearts of other believers. There's so much joy in that. You know, God never meant us to walk alone. And sometimes you don't know what to do to help somebody, but I want you to know that you can always pray for that person. Can I pray for you? Whatever the burden is, It's not too heavy for God, and we'd love to bring that concern to Him. Peter says, cast your care upon Him because He cares for you. Just shoot me a text message and I'll pray for you. I get a whole prayer team praying for you. The number is 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.